welcome to the Second Sparkler podcast. Uh, we have with us today Leanne Centaur, the prose editor, Rebecca Scoble, Hi. the audio editor, and Hi. Uh, Lillian Diaz Prisbel, the comics editor. Yo. <laughs> and Carolyn Calabrese, our marketing coordinator. Oh. Hi, everybody. As well as myself, Jill Astley. So we have some questions left over from our last podcast, so let's get into it. First, someone asked about not just our favorite or the best uh, movies, TV, books, manga, everything we're into, but current, our favorites. So who wants to start off? I think Lillian might have just... I've been on a sports anime kick lately, so like every other Fujoshi on Tumblr, I'm really into Yoamushi Pedal and Haikyuu. <laughs> I've always kind of had a fondness for sports stuff. I think that Hikaru no Go is probably one of my all-time favorite series, which is it's fascinating because it's basically like the setup of a sports series, but about like the world's most boring and mathematical board game. Actually, I really <laughs> like Let Go. It's not boring. But like I went through a Prince of Tennis phase. I went through the big wind-up phase. So like I'm really a sucker for this stuff. And so that, that just totally hit my Fujoshi sweet spot. I read a really great novel recently too, which is called uh, Aleph the Unseen. I'd heard about it like a couple of years back and then sort of never got around to it. And then it showed up at my local library. And I didn't put two and two together on this one, but it's written by a woman named G. Willow Wilson, who's the current writer for Marvel's new Miss Marvel series, which stars a Pakistani-American teenager. So, like, this is a woman who seems to kind of know her shit when it comes to Islam and seems really interested in, in putting forward this sort of new look at, well, I guess this Western-oriented look at Islamic culture. And yeah, Aleph is kind of this sort of a magical realism version of Snow Crash set in fake Dubai with all that kind of entails with that. It's very enjoyable. It's a world that I know very little about, but it's, it's kind of fascinating in this clash of like modernity meets history meets magical creatures. So if you're looking for something fun to read this summer that's, you know, not going to make you feel stupid, that's a good one. <laughs> Very cool. Leanne and Rebecca, you guys you guys are watching Yoa Peta too, right? We watched the beginning yeah. just a couple nights mm. ago. Uh, we haven't had a lot of, we haven't watched much anime l- lately, except for occasionally uh, bringing out Big Wind Up again, <laughs> which is kind of our, yeah, uh, we've been exercising, so we've been trying to watch Sports Shonen to inspire us. <laughs> it It works. <laughs> It is. It's so inspiring. It's just like, except for the part where they keep stopping to like have feelings. In well, in baseball, a lot of it's strategy. Baseball and like I'm saying, even Yoa Pedal, they keep stopping in in pure shonen fashion to be all like, his seat is higher. He gains all of his magical sports ability through his incredibly high pedaling cadence, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Is that like a thing? <laughs> what? Japan and how he had the solar hands. His hands were slightly warmer than normal. Like everyone's got some weird oh, God, ass like, sh- gimmicks. It's so funny. That was the okay, best show. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say? Oh, Is it Yakitate Japan that you? I couldn't hear you very well. Oh, yeah. Yakitate. Yeah. It's the bakery shonen about being the best baker in the world. Mm. It was like a pun because like Japan. Like... It was much sillier yeah. than the average shonen. Oh, God. It was ridiculous. Oh, it's so silly. 
the best like yeah. that's actually like it's a really great anime adaptation too because they just like nailed the voice acting cast for that like you you forget how great a comedic actor uh what's his face the place the guy who plays oh, Kuro Yanagi who's though. like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He's so funny when he wants to be. Like, he plays he all of these, like, serious, dark characters all the time. And then when he breaks out the comedy, you're just like, holy crap. Um, <laughs> Alexi Kirsch and I, Alexi's a, a Tokyo Pop editor, former Tokyo Pop editor, is now up at Viz. He and I totally bonded over, like, a combination of Hikaru no Go and then Yakitate Japan, which is <laughs> how ridiculous it was. <laughs> Good times. I, I recently rediscovered a comic a webcomic that I'd been reading on and off for a while um, called Prince of Cats by Corey Handworker. And I've met her a couple times at cons, and she's really nice. But I'd always kind of read it in pieces, and just the other day I started reading it from the beginning, and uh, it's really good, like really good. I, I admit that I'm a little bit of a story whore, I guess you could say. Like art isn't really that important to me. Not to say that her art isn't good, because I think it is, but it's sort of a watercolor style where the panels... Like, the pages aren't set up like traditional comic pages, but they're not quite three-panel strips either. So the format is a little bit different, which I think is maybe why it's definitely not one of the top web comics that I hear about over and over. But she's a very, very good writer. It's a really subtle, pretty story about these two boys in kind of a rural environment. And it's, I mean, it's partially boys' love, and it's just kind of coming of age. And it, I'm really enjoying it, kind of reading it from the beginning and trying it again. I mean, there are a lot of web comics that, you know, you'll read, like, a handful <laughs> of comics in the middle, and it's like, I'll check this out someday, but... I saw her again at TCAF, and I was like, I should really read Prince of Cats from the beginning. So uh, she's really great, and, which is good, because I like her as a person. So uh, knowing that she's also very good at her comic. <laughs> but yeah, I recommend that. You've been re playing Heavy Rain? Oh, God. Uh, this yes. just shows you how far behind I am on video games. I watched, but yes. I watched her wa play that. I'm glad I watched you, because I don't want to play it. It's really stressful. <laughs> it's called it's called Heavy Rain, and it's on, what, the PlayStation? Yeah, PS3. Yeah. It's definitely not female gaze, but it's uh, it's it's very noir and everything mm -hmm. that kind of... Well, not, like, old-timey noir, but, like, it's got that kind of, like... I don't want to spoil it, because it starts really, really mundane and weird, and then it is somewhat one of the most stressful gaming experiences I've ever had, <laughs> which was amazing. Yeah, Jill's roommate Jenny was like, uh, I, I, I missed my train when I was leaving Toronto and I had to stay an extra day and she's like, now you can play video games. <laughs> and so we just spent that whole Sunday playing video games and I did like a half-assed attempt at getting some work done and then yeah. we just sat on the couch and I played it and she's like, oh, there's a part coming, but I'm not going to tell you anything and it was pretty great. <laughs> But yeah, no, that game is really cool and really interesting. And if, if you want to play something that's kind of different from other things, definitely that's a fun one. And while Becca was playing Heavy games, Rain, I got into Skyrim, huh? <laughs> oh, which God. was a huge mistake. Yeah, only three years too late, but oh God. And it was right before my vacation too, which kind of was a bad idea. And I knew it, I just couldn't stop. Yeah. I, I saw I saw Jill right before her vacation and she says, I was thinking of getting Skyrim, but I think it's a bad idea because then I'll just spend my whole vacation playing Skyrim and, and then Well the Steam like, Summer Sale later. happened and it was like Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So And then we didn't hear you from you for about a week. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was really good and now I'm reading fan fiction. Because <laughs> 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 you can get married. It's amazing. Even though yeah. it's very simple, it's like it's good. I love those type of games. I, but... need to, I need to get back into Skyrim. I, I, inspired by E3, I took a second crack at playing Mass Effect, and I am 
I'm not very good at video games to begin with, and I'm terrible at shooters. Mm. So, like, <laughs> the first time I tried to play I Mass Effect, I just kept basically so dying on the first level. So then I just turned down the difficulty setting all the way. And oh, I since always then, do. I've been That's the first thing I do. Picking my way through that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so. I've, I've been kind of just indulging in my favorite things lately, and so that's related in that I've been playing Mass Effect online because I'm about to beat my second playthrough because I've been taking forever. Wow. And the thing, of, well, I played it the first time, and then I started a second playthrough, and I was just too sad to keep playing because I was like, no, I don't <laughs> have a relationship as this shepherd with all these people. And I decided not to romance Garrus this time, and I learned that every other romance is a waste of time. And I will never not romance Garrus again. <laughs> See, that's what I always find with games like that. Like, like Dragon Age is, you know, my favorite. And then there's lots of other people I could romance and get married. But I always, of course, Alistair. It's like so hard not to go for him in Dragon Age. I, I, I can't finish that game because I got to the part where they're all like, oh, everything is horrible with him. Yes. And then I read some spoilers and I'm like, oh, come on, game. You had such a good thing going. Yeah. Oh man, there yeah. was one day I went on Jezebel and somebody had brought up video games and it turned into like how much everybody on Jezebel wanted to have sex with Alistair. <laughs> like Jezebel, which is like pretty fucking mainstream. So Yep. Except when you do, so, it's like really creepy on Candy Valley. I'm I know sorry, it's so bad. I can't even look at them. I just like close my eyes and hit X a bunch yeah. of times and try to get through it. Please just fade to black. Can I get a mod to have yeah, it fade it's, to it's, black earlier? Yeah, it's like mashing my... Barbie dolls together. It's about as sexy as that. Oh, so creepy. Some people are into that. I know, but I just I don't know. Like I was about to say, uh, dude, you're like Candy that Valley was like my shit. childhood. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that how we all explored our feelings? Yeah, don't don't knock Lillian's sort of like early experiences of sexuality. Oh man, at least they're the right size, as opposed to you know when you have your GI Joe and the Barbie doll. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, my Barbies had kind of a weird like harem setup because I only had two Ken dolls and I had like fifteen Barbie dolls, so they had this like very complicated society that involved a lot of like poly. partner trading. Yeah. So, yeah, very poly. <laughs> Carolyn, you were saying? Oh, yeah. I, I realized recently, so my work computer crashed on me, and I've been using my home computer while I get a new, wait for my new work computer to come in. And I've been working off of it for like a month, and then I realized after my boss had come in and talked to me when it was on my desktop that my desktop picture is a picture of Garrus and Shepard. And <laughs> I my coworkers probably think I'm really, really weird now. It's like a cute, like, smooch photo and I didn't even think about it. I feel like I've really like gone into the fandom zone pretty deep with Mass Effect where I don't realize something is not normal. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's just Garrus. He's just an alien. That's a bird dinosaur. He's like the best. He's so cute. I love him. He's my husband, my video game husband. And uh, man, and you know what? I really, I'm really bad at video games, and I kind of stopped playing them after high school. After I got off my big JRPG kick that I think all teenagers who are nerds go through, and yeah. I hadn't played anything else in such a long time. And then I feel like a terrible stereotype because I used to be really into gaming, but I'm not now. And my boyfriend was like, "Oh, you should play Mass Effect. I think you'd really like it." And then I played, and I was super bad at the shooting, but I got I got a lot better. And I was playing multiplayer last night, and it was pretty fun. Um, no, no randos being weird. Nothing bad to say about it, and it was pretty cool. So, nice. um, Good. so I. I'm going to be really stoked when the next game comes out. I'm I'm willing to buy an expensive video game console just to play Mass Effect. 
Hmm. I've had to come to grips with that in myself. <laughs> that whenever I bought all the DLC, my boyfriend got me that shepherd hoodie for Christmas. It's really, really soft, nice. though. I, I really <laughs> recommend it. But my yeah. Uh, pain I'm a, a humongous Fire Emblem fangirl. I'm like fucking obsessed. I play almost no video games anymore, but I will stop my life for a week whenever a new Fire Emblem <laughs> comes out. And it's like nobody fucking talk to me. But you know, it keeps switching systems, so I keep having to buy whatever the new system is that Fire Emblem is on. So, And it's like they'll be like, eh, we feel like going to the, the, the Advance. Okay, we're going to the DS. Okay, we're going to 3DS. There's going to be one on the GameCube, one on the Wii. Fuck all of you. And I'm like, fine, I'll just go buy this damn, you know standing in line with like $200 worth of stuff for one game. <laughs> so yeah, it's okay. Everybody's got that series that kind of drives them. I'm honestly, we've been thinking seriously about a Wii U because Pikmin fucking Pikmin, oh, Pikmin is the best. And Pikmin is the best. And there's like one every 10 years. And they're like, now you have to buy a Wii U. And we're like, well, went into publishing. So it might take a while. For <laughs> well, I bought a 3DS just to get the Phoenix Wright. Well, the Ace Attorney game. And I told them yeah. that as well, because I joined that Nintendo club. Just saying some of us own a Vita for Persona Golden. Persona. Just saying. Mm. Yeah, Becca follows Persona. <laughs> See, I bought yeah, a Vita when I got FFX and X2 Japanese. Yeah, so. I've been having fun replaying that. It's it's funny how, A, there are certain sort of writing and acting choices that I realized 10 years later how bad they this are. Is, this is Final Fantasy Final Fantasy 10. And B, how I don't even give a shit because I'm so nostalgic for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know in the Japanese <laughs> version, Balflare is uh, Sanji. So when I, f I, oh. I played it before I watched One Piece and I loved his voice and I searched for what he had done and he'd done almost nothing else except One Piece. And I'm like, well, I don't want to watch One Piece, dumb oh, shonen. Dude, <laughs> he did, in, in Sayuki, he was Gojo, the other chain-smoking womanizer. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't do much. Actually, he was Tiger and Tiger and Bunny. Yes. Like, he hasn't done many parts, but they're always great. Yeah. <laughs> voice actor, man. How do you feel about Tiger? Oh god, sad daddies. <laughs> okay. The other thing that I've been doing as far as uh, as far as reading is that I started I was telling uh Leanne this, but I'm really, really into Nana and I and I think Jill, I was just like being a crazy person when I saw you at TCAP. Like, do you have anything related to Nana? And I started rereading it because my friend started rewatching the anime and I we were like talking about one of the you know, the moment when everything changed, like the Fire Nation attack of Nana which I don't want to spoil it. If you are a fan, though, you know what I'm talking about. So I was rereading it, and I was like, there's no way this is going to resonate with me because I'm an adult and I'm not, I'm not like, 19 and dating randos, but it still does. And I was really moved, and I was really depressed that it's probably never going to end. So my uh, my vulnerable shoujo heart is is weeping. That's a sign of a I good fucking shoujo. love not your heart <laughs> fucking weeping. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about, oh yeah, talent. Somebody asked us for our opinions on talent. It's from OK Karen Draw in our forum. Yeah. She said, I've, I've been gnawing at the concept of talent, and it might be a good topic for a future episode. Is talent an innate trait in a creator? The X factor that you either have or don't? Or is it something more accessible, a honed skill after years of trial and error? I think the popular opinion is shifting towards the latter, but I wonder if it's a combination of both. The potential within someone that can be fully realized if you put in the time and work. Who wants to field that one? Man, that's a really I'm on tough the side question. Of it's yeah. work. Sorry. Yeah, no, I am too, but I do I do think that there's the one thing I would say is that because I think I think it depends on sort of what you're doing with your talent. Because I think if you want to 
field your talent into a successful career, then this is even more like where the due diligence and like the hours are much more important than any sort of innate ability or like just being able to kind of magically do stuff. So because I think from a professional perspective, it's being able to not just do things, but do things reliably and do things on time. That's sort of more important than just is it going to knock it out of the park from your first draft and like nobody really knocks it out of the park on their first draft so that that's kind of just a fiction to begin with but yeah I mean I do think it just depends on sort of what you're focusing on too because I feel like there's people I think who have like one skill is they start ahead on that regard like whether it's they're great at dialogue or whether they have really great character designs. And then they kind of need to work to bring the rest of their skill set kind of up to that level. Or they're just, they're really inventive, but don't know how to structure things properly. Like, I think people can kind of have a plus one in some factor. And then that's when kind of the the work comes in is to how to shape that into a real skill set and something that's kind of repeatable, if that makes sense. But I do think that like... Hard work will get you almost anywhere. So it, it may not get you, you're not going to be Walt Disney, maybe, or I don't know, name name your favorite superstar creator. But when it comes to sort of being able to create something and do something that you're proud of and that, that represents something to you, I think that that's absolutely something you can work towards if you want to. I, I think there's... Um, I don't know. Yeah, Agree, I th- disagree. I think hard work is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I think that's that's really good. And I, I think that um, hard work is the majority of it. But I do think that I think there's something about creativity that's a little bit innate in that the people I know who are consistently really great creators who, you know, when they put in the time, it really goes somewhere are the people who are kind of always dreaming or drawing or they just they sort of have an obsession with it. And I think some of mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. innate in that I know people that like when they were kids, they <laughs> had poly sexual communities of their <laughs> Barbie dolls um, or like, you know, right. people who made up stories about all of their toys. Well, I'm toys. a bad example because I'm not a creator, but. <laughs> well, but you're in the but creative anyway. arts. Like you're a very talented I'm in the editor. Yeah, so yes. like, yeah. Yeah. So I think that there are people and I, you know, growing up and stuff, knowing kids that it's like the kids who couldn't stop making up stories mm-hmm. and just everything they did, it was like they, they were, they would get obsessed over media instead of sports or they would, you know, they'd be really, really into, like, a book instead of, like, seeing their friends. That, you know, I think there are people like that. And, and those people, I think, are really good candidates for put in the work and you can do something really great. And like Lillian right. said, I think that even if you don't have that inherent, like, you're always thinking up of stuff or you're obsessed with it, you hard work will get you pretty far. You can still be a fairly yeah. successful creator. But I think those people the- are the ones that went when you see that and you put the work, those people can be the next Walt Disney. That's a good point because the flip side to that is that if you are always dreaming, you are always writing stories, but you're kind of just doing it for fun in this kind of abstract way, that's not necessarily yeah. going to get you anywhere either. It's like you need Correct. to have both yeah. that that passion and that ability to kind of focus and to kind of refine. So like in my case, I, I've never really been that interested in being a writer and I only sort of ever dabble very very loosely in being an artist but I'm a good analyst and I just I like consuming things and so like I read really fast I watch things really broadly and I like to really think about them and so like that's why I kind of became an editor is because I like trying to make things better and by putting in work and trying to figure out how to make things better and and working with artists and trying to, you know, how to give them the feedback that's going to help them realize their ideas. That for me was a sort of a productive way to do something that I love, but also to make myself get better at it as well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. 
So I, I took something that I kind of I thought I was good at and, and generally enjoyed. And then over the last 10 years, I've tried to figure out, you know, what do I need to do to train my skills so that I can help people more? Make of that what you will. Yeah. And this, this segues into this whole like, what is art and like art versus commerce? <laughs> and like, that's mm. a whole discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Yeah. so so this is just kind of a digression. But like back in the Tokyo Pop days, and we were looking to kind of recruit young artists, Stu had a philosophy that I don't entirely disagree with, but I don't think he was entirely wrong either. And this was coming from like the Japanese side. This is sort of, as far as I understand, it was kind of the philosophy of a lot of the Japanese editorial systems was once you hit 23, age 23, your style is generally pretty fixed. Like it's very difficult to change your style as an artist after the age of 23. Mm. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, Tokyo Pop was really looking at a lot of younger artists was to kind of get them to that point. And I don't really think that's true anymore. I've, I've looked at so many artists who've kind of come into their own in their late 20s and early 30s. And that, that's true even in Japan too, like the Trigon artist. I don't know how old he was when he started really working on that manga, but he was a salary man for a long time before that. So I think he must have been in his mid-20s at least. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's just, like, you're never too old for greatness. You know, you're never too old to try something new and to start working and, and improve yourself. So as long as you can keep an open mind and are interested in changing and improving, that's going to get you a really long way. And, and I, I do think a big part of it is also, um, like, like, you know, I, I kind of had my flippant answer at the beginning because yeah. uh, I, I, I do hear a lot of people sort of, I, I think that when you don't, when, when you're a real, real beginner, you don't see how many steps there are between beginner and expert, kind yeah. of. And I think that's one of those yeah. things where, particularly something like reading and writing, where everyone can write a little bit. Where you're just yeah. like, well, I have good ideas and I could do this. And why? This is so bad. I can look at this and I can say this is bad. So I'm sure I could do better. And you don't realize mm-hmm. how much work it takes and how much honing your skills and that kind of a thing. But I do, I do also think that when you say work, a lot of that, it's not like every single aspect of the creative process. You're, you're like, well, I need to learn how to make my backgrounds better. So I'm going to read a tutorial about backgrounds. A lot of that is consuming media and living your life and figuring out what's good and what's bad and sort of like uh, having better taste is a big part of it and mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. figuring out what you like in stories or what you like in art and then trying to sort of imitate that and that's that's another part of the Mm -hmm. process that happens a lot more subconsciously yeah because you can't make something good unless you know what good looks like yeah yeah tutorials Mm -hmm. and stuff like that's a really good point that like building up your skills there's like hardcore skill training and then like becca said there's part of it that's just about maturing and ingesting media and living your life and figuring it out what makes people tick for example, if you want to write good mm-hmm. characters, go out and meet people. I mean, there are definitely yeah. a few people who are like the crazy geniuses who kind of lived in a tiny hovel and they like wrote the great American novel. But mm-hmm. the average person, you've got to go out there and read other mm-hmm. stuff, watch other stuff, meet yeah. people, live your life before you can mm-hmm. really write great yeah. stories, especially and, a variety of great stories. And th- there are a lot of times when, you know, we've all run into things where y- you'll get a work of fiction and it's fine and the skills are there and it's competently told and it's competently done, but there's just nothing interesting about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of time that's kind of just mm-hmm. not knowing your genre well, in- well enough, not knowing yeah. the-, mm-hmm. the format you're in well enough and just sort of falling into cliche without realizing it's cliche. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that editors can help with a lot, too, or, like, speed it up or something, or, like, point people in the right direction. Skip the part where the girl ends up in the other world, you know, or, like... (laughs) 
Yeah, like I feel there are very few people who can develop themselves into really, you know, expert or whatever artists, creators with no help, you know, with no Mm -hmm. good feedback. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, most of the like talented and successful artists and writers and people that we know, everybody's bouncing their stuff off of somebody, you know, whether or not it's another writer or another artist, or if it's just like a a best friend or a spouse or somebody. Yeah, it could be a school, could be a writer's group, Mm -hmm. could be like, yeah, they're not creating in vacuum. So I think that's another thing too, that, um, you know, some people think that it's like, oh, if I learn, you know, they get so caught up on the technical skills that they don't really embrace the creativity. They don't embrace kind of like, yeah, going out there and talking to other people and moving your mind and seeing what is it that you saw on TV that you really liked and why did you like it? And not just mm-hmm. because that was a good actor or whatever, but like, mm-hmm. what was it that kept you going back? What, what was compelling about it? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like a lot of, and this is also something we saw in the submissions. I, I have to reiterate that our submissions, the overall quality was much better than I was expecting. When you have open submissions, you never really know what you're going to get. But I think that our overall quality was really high. But you would see sort of like there would be a, a fair number of people fell into one of two camps. Either they had a great idea and they didn't know how to hone it, or they had all the skills and their idea was kind of boring. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. really hard to synthesize those two things. Those are like two different skills slash life sets that, you know, it just, yeah. it takes time. There was a really great video that was going around on YouTube about how Leonardo da Vinci didn't really get in his, hit his stride till he was in his 40s or something. And how like, right. you know, he spent 10 years drawing. I reblogged pe- that on the Sparkler Tumblr. Did you? Good. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he was a, he did like a freelance thing and he didn't finish it. And then. He spent like 10 years drawing people who had been executed for the newspaper. And then in his free time, right. all he did was draw everything constantly. Like he never stopped. But yeah, yeah like I, I think there's a lot to be said for you're never too young. You're never too old. It's just these are things that you got to go out and do. And I think that that drives a lot of people towards mm-hmm. greatness. I mean, everybody's formula is different, but there's no magic bullet and there's no set of skills that's going to make it all synthesize. Right. Because creative industries are really hard and mentally exhausting and emotionally exhausting. (laughs) Since you mentioned submissions and a few people have been asking about it. Yeah. So the issue with submissions is we really like doing that. Um, We probably aren't going to give quite as much feedback this time around just because uh, that was something that we really wanted to try the first time. But it was, I mean, we spent up to like, I spent up to eight hours on one per rejection in terms of like writing out constructive criticism. It's also a a service that we do freelance for sometimes several hundred dollars. <laughs> so we kind of did that. Um, Cause we wanted people to understand what the editorial process of sparkler is like. And, you know, there are a lot of people that this is their first submission. We wanted them to go out there and have kind of a better idea. The, the only issue right now with the submissions is we really like to open them again, but between the really great crop of open submissions we had last time and a bunch of really great creators who have approached us and said like, you know, I'm interested in doing this. Most of year two is full, like in terms of slots. I think we're going to be opening to shorts again in August, but there's a really easy answer to this, which is if we can get a bigger paying readership, we can hire more people. Because at this point, it's like particularly after year one, and now that we're in year two and we have, you know, more people know about us and we're getting, you know, we got a lot of submissions over the course of this first year. We just don't, because we pay advances, we can't afford to hire more people. The magazine is always going to be reasonably small because we just don't have a big enough readership to support hiring what our budget is right now yeah so although we we are planning to open up probably in mid-august or so um it is going to be really limited and we can probably hire like a couple people for next year probably for sure it's like we're talking like two or three slots are open not very much and we would love to hire more of you people who have 
really great potential and really great pitches, but you gotta keep more people gotta subscribe. So I know this sounds really corporate, but like go get your friends to subscribe and put <laughs> us on your Christmas list. And well, I mean, it's like it's the system, right? Like the the commerce is kind yeah. of rearing its ugly head that like if we want to pay people advances, we need more people buying subscriptions to the magazine. And in right. August, I mean, if, we're going to be. If we want to grow, they need more money. Yeah. 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 And also, we are worried about quality control, that we don't want to get so big that we can't make sure that the stuff is all good. But the thing is, we can expand with what we have right now if we had more money. Like, it, it's like a dollars and cents things right now. Like, we couldn't expand to like 50 things running a month right now without seriously restructuring, but we could definitely hire more people. So, you know, it's five bucks a month. Get your friends to subscribe. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like whenever you, you're working in any industry, right? you got to kind of pay into the system, especially when it comes to indie publishers and stuff, that we really, really rely on the community sort of supporting us monetarily. Um, and we're going to do a membership drive in August uh, and reformat the magazine a little bit a little bit more to get more people kind of interested in it because year two has got to – we've got to do a lot of changes. A lot of year one was us Make being a little like, more okay, let's, let's do this. Who are new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we took some stuff in year one that uh, we kind of had different plans for and everything. And now we have a really good idea of what we would like to do for year two. And we have a lot of it lined up. But we also know how we could expand tomorrow if we got a lot more subscribers. So, Speaking uh, of new shorter. slots, maybe we could talk about Jen's new series soon since someone asked yeah. about that. Field this one, Lillian. Yeah, what was the question? Just uh, like, I think what's she Jen's said, new what, series? What can you tell us now about it? Man, I'm trying to think of what I can tell without like spoiling it. So yeah, so um, anyone who already has their Offbeat 3 ebook knows that her new series is called Gatesmith. Uh, we're going to be launching it in August. Um, as of August, we're basically going to be, we might as well talk about this now, we're switching from a weekly update to a first of the month, um, probably first Friday, maybe first Monday of the month. Everything goes up all at once. So it's going to be a lot more like a standard magazine where it's one release for the month of August. And we'll have sort of, everything goes live with that first update. Uh, the paywall drops a week later. We'll do subscriber exclusive probably the third week and then anything else can kind of slot into week four. But like content wise, everything's gonna go up at the same time. So as of our first update in August, you'll get to read Gatesmith. It's set in kind of an alternate universe version of the Old West. Jen spent a lot of time living in the Southwest in kind of her, her 20s and was really inspired by sort of the landscape and, and the mythology there. But we didn't want to tie things in too closely to reality. So it's definitely, this is a world that has magic in it. It's a world that has spirits in it. It's, just, it's going to be a really interesting kind of look. It's, it's different from Offbeat. It's a very different sort of aesthetic style from what we've seen from her so far. But I think it's going to be very Kind of, if you're familiar with some of Jen Quick's other work and kind of her fantasy bend, it's going to slot right into that. Yeah, and the protagonist is a young woman named Morgan who is kind of on a mission. And I don't really want to say much more than that because I think it's going to spoil the <laughs> the first chapter. <laughs> I can't wait to re read this. Um, I don't know if Sparkler readers know this, but none of us usually get to read the comics about until a few days before they go up. So we are all on tenterhooks waiting for this as well <laughs> yeah whoever Yay. proves it gets it like second and then yeah, yeah. that's why we all uh yeah we all volunteer and the yeah. great thing about jen quick is she's mo she's worked in so many different genres and it's always good so i think there was a little bit yeah i think she was a little concerned that it was such a different genre from offbeat 
But the great mm-hmm. thing about her is she works, she's one of those people that can work in any genre and that core awesome storytelling is always there. Mm-hmm. That she's always gotten me interested mm-hmm. in different backdrops and different, in the same way that her time in Queens inspired Offbeat, her time in the Southwest inspired mm-hmm. Gatesmith. So you're going to get a lot of that great setting and tone. Um, it's funny because Offbeat, she did almost only high fantasy before Offbeat. <laughs> she said she had to relearn mm-hmm. how to draw cars and stuff. <laughs> like, um, she was so used to drawing dragons and castles. So um, it, this is going to be tapping into her really hardcore talent for fantasy, which I'm really excited oh, yeah, about. She's a really good world builder. Oh, so like, good. we've been lucky enough to just like basically sit around while she talks about fantasy worlds she's created, and it's, it's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. I mean, we, we first found her in IC Entertainment's Amera Manga Magazine, where she was running Soul Union, a <laughs> fantasy about a boy who was possessed by the ghost of his dead sister. Oh, God, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are super stoked for Gatesmith. Lillian, in, in comics, she kind of, in all of our departments, we sort of keep things from each other until the proofing stage to get a little bit of that feedback, being like, you know, this is what the readership is going to see. Do you have any f- comments for next time? With the exception of, you know, sometimes we, we share editorial if we're behind or whatever. But yeah, we get to we get to experience it kind of like the rest of the readers do after Lillian and Jen have worked on it. So we're all really excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't see the out- art book question. Could you? So this was uh, Pachi who said on Facebook, have you ever considered compiling art books of Tokyo Demons or any longer running series that would warrant that kind of thing? I, for one, would love to have a book of, of the art all big and shiny. This is a good time to talk about going to print. (laughs) Um, You guys are probably following the, I almost want to cut like the near disaster with our poor gauntlet Kickstarter. Print is very difficult. I wouldn't say near disaster. I mean, it was really just, you know, we did that. I wouldn't say as an experiment, but as, as a test in some ways to see what the demand for print was for some of our basic, our first, original prose novel and the answer was there may not be sufficient demand for a print version <laughs> yeah. like there was just barely sufficient demand for a print version mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so like that's that's really useful feedback so like if you're interested in print versions you need to show us that through your support of print versions <laughs> let's put yeah. it that way and, and considering how i mean i think gauntlet is a really great book and i think that both ellery and t did like a really great job on it and they were kind of promoting it to their own fandoms, um, and considering how much we pushed it, it was really, really difficult to raise 4500 for it, which is, like, in terms of print, is like, I mean, this was a small print run. Like, it doesn't even compare to, like, something like Offbeat. Um, and although we have a couple series that are always slated for print, most of the stuff is based on demand, and the fact that that Kickstarter was so difficult to reach uh, the end, and it, uh, also, it was the, the number of people, right, that, like, that had... I think right. it was a total of like 70 people and they were just pledging a lot of money to make it happen and we got a lot of instances where it's like the same 25, 30 people had pledged and then they just kept increasing their pledge over and going from 25 to 50 to 75 just because they really wanted it to happen. We just didn't get the numbers for that. And, you mm-hmm. know, we are, we've always really embraced the digital side. We like print, but we always considered it sort of a premium. And although it would be really fun to do a sparkler art book or, you know, because we have so much great art, anything that's print is like... It, almost exclusively needs to be crowdfunded or it can't happen because mm-hmm. the way that our company is structured it can be yeah. like huge overhead for those right it can yeah. be yeah, yeah. And you need to do really high quality yeah i mean yeah. i have to say that like based on my experience at tokyo pop i mean even art books for things that we thought were going to be we we always approach them with a lot of caution because it's expensive yeah. to do art books and 
people seem to like think that they want them and then the demand doesn't necessarily turn up once they're in print. It, it was a little different for, for Tokyo Pop too in the sense that like one of the reasons why we were skeptical is because with an art book coming from Japan, if there's not very much text, then you could just buy it at an anime con in Japanese and like you're going to get basically the same experience mm -hmm. as having it printed in English. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different when yeah. we're coming from an English background. This is the only time that something like that would be available. But you need to sell a good number of art books to make that worth your while. And we're not going to do that until we have confidence that we're going to have that demand met. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually, I mean, I mean so, of... so, I mean, a good example of this actually is like, you know, we have a, we've done a, a number of prints over the last year for pieces of art that we've, you know, commissioned for Sparkler that we thought were really cool. And there's not as much of a demand for those as we thought that there might be. So maybe it's that people would rather have it in a book form. I don't know. But like, if we don't see a demand for prints, then I, I'm not convinced that there's a huge demand for an art book, basically. I mean, it, I mean those it, are, they're different things. They're sort of different usages, but still. Yeah, like it, it kind of comes down to we just need to sell more of everything for these things to be a possibility. We've always structured the company around the primary thing that 80% of all of our overhead goes into is advances for our creators. Like we want the, the content to exist and anything beyond that, right. prints, merchandise, all these kind of things are like if we can pay our creators in advance to do it and the book exists and then Beyond that, we would love to experiment, but it really depends on how big of our audience it is. So we've tried to make it so that there are a lot of different ways that people can support us financially, that, you know, we try and sell mm -hmm. our own ebooks and put three or four formats for you, and the paperbacks that we have, you can buy them through a store, and the Sparkler Distro means that if there's, like, webcomic people that, you know, you really liked, uh, you can share shipping with anything in the Sparkler Store. Just, like, we're trying to expand as much as we can to bring in money through other means to try and do some of these side projects. But quite frankly, we're at the point where even paying for those advances is difficult because we're still in, you know, we're just finishing up our year one. And we tried to be, you know, as fair as we could with the advance, considering how big a company we are. And that is still soaking up like all of our money. So any of these things, they're like pie in the sky things. I would love to try them, but it depends. Sparkle just has to get more popular before we can do anything mm -hmm. sort of past. Like the magazine itself is like just so much money and time to run mm -hmm. that all this stuff is just if we get more success, then, I mean, I would certainly love at one point to think about doing a Sparkler art book because we've got mm. so many great mm -hmm. creators taking kind of like pr the best pieces from each series. You could get like just such a great compilation of all these uh, mostly female creators mm -hmm. doing all this great original stuff, but we got to we gotta sell the magazine more before we can play with it. So mm -hmm. these seem like such sad answers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, Thank maybe... you for asking that question, though, because yeah. like, I think yeah. that, you know, that's the other thing is that we're we aspire to be a creator friendly company. We aspire to kind of, you know, we, we want to do things that our audience is interested in. And so you telling us that that's something that you're interested in, that's valuable feedback for us. So that's something that I wouldn't really have considered at the moment. And it's, you know, maybe that's a goal that we should be working towards at some point. But, but yeah, there, there needs to be more than just one person kind of demanding that or, or expressing that interest. Well. So. I will say um, that over Yeah, you know, anytime you want to see us do something, let us know and we can at least consider it. So This is not the first time we've heard the art book question for Tokyo Demon specifically. I mean we've been running that one for three <laughs> years and also Rem is the artist and it's kind of hard to not want Rem's right. stuff. Yeah. Uh, I know there's like a small demand out there, but yeah, if if a a, a novel which, you know, has kind of a, a relatively low cost novel is had difficulty getting in print, then it might just not be the time yet for that like just 
we're being really wary about print in general right now because it can easily sink a digital <laughs> a digital pub. and that's partially why we did we became a digital publisher anyway because the print overhead is what can kind of kill you very quickly not to say that paying for the content is the cheap part because it's not but it does mean that we could there's a more direct link between people being paid and the content existing and less about distribution and i mean because when you're online and you're digital technically that you can distribute to the entire world right print kind of drags you down a little even though they're really great reasons to have paperbacks and i love the paperbacks that we've done so far but they are tricky and they're mm -hmm. tricky to distribute and they're yeah. tricky to get out there you, you can't turn all your money into books and then just they kind of sit, sit there, there yeah so speaking of just oh, to say, offbeat three is is coming in a couple of weeks we sent the mm -hmm. second yeah because like... some... i know a lot of people are waiting for that it was supposed to come out this week there were some errors in the proof so we wanted we didn't we didn't want to sacrifice quality for speed so we sent back another round of proof but now it's printing should be a couple of weeks and we're all really excited oh yeah it's gonna be fun <laughs> yeah yeah uh, less fun when i get the massive pellet full of books uh, I have to like them, lift them and you know yeah. <laughs> I sucker my parents into helping out. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we can close off now. We were it's almost an hour with our yeah. mm -hmm. we had one bad caffeine one experiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Oh god. Oh so, bad caffeine? So, yep. Uh, I think I'm the, the expert on bad caffeine experience. <laughs> Becca doesn't take care of herself. Becca doesn't take care of herself when there's an audio deadline. And this is the thing about audio, like creating an audio drama is that you have to move at the speed of listening to things. And the speed of listening to things is way slower than reading or anything yeah. like that. And so, although I certainly don't want to say that I'm doing more work than other people, when I get behind, I get so behind. And basically, uh, every awake deadline is like a week of solid work before the deadline and usually several all-nighters. And so chapter one, I wasn't really sure exactly how long things were going to take. And we were pushing and pushing and pushing to try to get the magazine out and everyone was done except for me. And so I didn't really sleep for about three days. And then I almost... Yeah, she was getting to the point really. where it was a little bit like sunken eyes, pallor, I don't know, Some, sometimes, dying, basically. Sometimes you, your body forgets that it needs to sleep anymore. Yeah, that's another danger. Like, if you go with it, because this happened to me, too, when I was doing one of the Slayers novels for Tokyo Pop, I had to rewrite that in a week. And, like, after a while, if you manage to kind of go without sleep or only a couple hours of sleep for, like, three or four days, your body's like, oh, I don't need sleep anymore. And then you're like, okay, I can just keep going. And then I vomited for 12 hours straight and broke out in cold sores all over my face when that <laughs> happened. So, like, don't fucking do this. Like, you almost did this to Rebecca. And I saw the warning signs. I'm like, don't, do not replicate what I did with Slayer's Volume I was like, seven. what? What? Sound effects, but what? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is actually that good a story. It's actually kind of terrible. <laughs> it's um, a warning to those of you in the creative But, yeah, you shouldn't. Don't do the things that I do. It's a bad idea. Yeah, because caffeine can really sleep to a point, but then your body will shut down like it'll shut yeah. that mess down yeah. carolyn do you have anything I, even oh well this one is something i can really talk at great length about because i know a lot about overdoing it with caffeine i got to <laughs> i might have mentioned last time i don't know but i got to a point where i had acclimated to drinking 32 ounce iced coffees thanks <laughs> oh to the bacon. and i got a shout out to quacks 43rd street bakery that place is the best if you live in austin or are ever in austin so i drink a ridiculous amount of iced coffee and then started brewing my own insane recipe for iced coffee so yeah for the most part without caffeine i'm pretty much a useless human being <laughs> sorry if that yeah, was i'm gonna say spark monthly runs 
pretty much on caffeine and also pretty much I think every editor I know. Yeah. I mean like when I freelance for Seven Seas, I'll hand something in at four in the morning and my editor will get back to me fifteen minutes later. So Yeah. I well yeah, Seven Seas shout out to Adam Arnold. Yeah. Seven Seas, that guy does not sleep. Yeah, that dude is uh... <laughs> But yeah, I think Well especially it helps you're on your East Coast time though. So four in the morning for you is only one P or one AM here. No. So which well, I, he's I in consider New York. perfectly reasonable. Oh never mind. He's East Coast. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I thought York. originally. But I think anybody who works in a small publishing house, you're basically wearing like 80 hats. And yeah. it's very easy to get carried away. And, and that's part of what we're changing for year two, that yeah. we had to um, adjust things because our, you know, we were dying. <laughs> and uh, our creators were having trouble staying on deadline stuff. And I mean, it's, it's not going to get easier, I don't think. But I think it will be a little bit more organized because it's very easy to lose yourself in this stuff. You know, sometimes the hours yeah. between like 11 and 4 are really when... You, when things are quiet and you can get uninterrupted work done. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, your schedule's off, but you're actually getting the hours in of sleep. Yeah. I know Rhiannon, who's one of our proofers, is at Clarion West right now, and she was just tweeting about this. There's this culture of going without sleep that it's like, some people consider it a badge of pride, and it's like, you gotta be really careful with that. Like, a combination of caffeine and lack of sleep is really, really bad for you, and I think that writers and artists and stuff, it's really easy to be so into something that you kind of forget to do those things, but it'll get you, especially when you hit our age, you're sort of in your 30s, and it's like, holy god, the stuff that I did when I was an undergrad, like, I couldn't do that (laughs) shit again. It's like, I gotta get a little sleep, or your body shuts down and you're sick, and that'll also, that'll knock you way further behind, that if you if you abuse yourself so much that your body kind of shuts down, like, and you lose a week because you can't get out of bed, like, in the long run, it's not, uh, it's like that get up every 30 to minutes to an hour from your computer chair and do some stretches, like, I think, uh, Lillian, I think you've reblogged some stuff on the Tumblr about how to take care of yourself. Oh, they're like Batman-themed, like, exercises and stuff? Oh, the exercises, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have one with yoga poses, too, that I should reblog. It's like daily yoga poses to keep you limber. From, like, just melting into your computer chair. Anyway, so this this podcast is about how everything is terrible and we're all dying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but year two's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about year two. The reason we're doing the membership drive in August is partially to help fund year two. I mean, it's not like we have no money, but it's going to get tight unless we expand our readership a lot. And, I mean, I think the good news is we're five bucks a month. Like, it's not a huge investment. I think there are a lot of people out there who've been kind of on the fence about a subscription for whatever reason. I think going monthly is going to help us. It's going to be easier to understand what exactly you're getting for that $5 a month. And we have a lot of comics coming out. We didn't get to do many comics in year one because of a bunch of health issues, which were all really unfortunate. And, you know... Except for Baby. Baby's not unfortunate. Baby's happy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Babies are great. Babies are happy. Just take a lot of time. That's all. Yeah. And there were also a couple things that sort of fell through before we even launched that we were expecting to have a little bit more backup than we did, which is why issues one through six were such such a disaster on the back end. We had so many issues in the office, just like, what am I? Oh, God, nothing's working, you know. But it's better now, and I... Uh, yeah. Our lineup is really good. We're so excited about who, Windrose. Who, who knew that starting a, a publishing company would be difficult? Yeah, we all no. kind of knew, but I don't think we really knew. You know, you can't know. Right. You, you have to kind of experience it for yourself. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, year one was a big learning experience for all of us of like what the workload was going to entail, what sorts of like the level of, of stuff that we could expect from our creators when the answer for that is really fucking high. Like, I think that we've got great stuff coming out. Yeah. How much content we'd be able to sort of handle at any given time, how much we what our readership is interested in. 
So, you know, I think that the year one experiment is done and like heading into year two, I'm really confident about what we're going to be bringing to you all. So that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got two books coming out shortly. I mean, we've got Offbeat 3, the ebooks available. Paperback will be a couple yep. weeks. Both Gauntlet and Tokyo Demons 2 are in their final revision stages. The ebooks of those <laughs> should be out probably in about a month, and mm-hmm. then the paperbacks a couple, a month or two later. I'm in the middle of signing a new audio drama, which I yep. can't wait to be able to like actually hint about once the contract stuff is done. Yeah, it's gonna be very Dude, difficult. Dude, I have an idea for an illustrator for that too. If you don't have one picked already. Oh, okay. yeah, I'd like to talk to you about that. That'll yeah. be good. We should, we should That's talk. Kind of step- <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. talk. <laughs> okay. That is the, the most fun casting and, yeah, and artists, coming yeah. up with artists and stuff. It's so exciting. Very excited. We got good stuff for year two. Really, like, in, around the time that this podcast comes out, Windrose should have launched, like, within a week or yeah. so. Yeah. Oh. Really excited yeah, about swashbuckling Yay. 17th century oh, Europe. It's so it's pretty. Awesome. Yeah. It's Super for, pretty. You know, we didn't have as much action adventure as, I mean, I think a lot of our stuff is kind of in the thriller slash character drama stuff. Um, now, I think that both Windrose and Skyglass, I'm really happy that we launched them in the summer, and that was always kind of the plan, because they're mm-hmm. summer series, you know? In the same way that mm-hmm. Kalevia mm-hmm. and Dead Endings are really good fall-winter series, Skyglass mm-hmm. is like bananas, and Windrose is like action-adventure slash mm-hmm. sexual tension all over the seven seas, and it's going to be uh, really fun. Is that it? Okay. Cool. I think so. So I guess we'll sign off now. Uh, thanks for listening. If you have any other questions, then, you know, these podcasts are pretty fun to do. So just tell us our, your question in Tumblr or our forums or anywhere. And we look forward to... We look forward to bringing you a really awesome year, too. That's right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll just cut that out and put that in. Replace your voice with, sure. my, with my voice with yours. Okay. <laughs> Alright, here let's all say bye. Alright. Bye. 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 bye.